Hello and welcome to the Quietly Visible podcast. I'm your host, Carol Stewart, founder of The Bounding Solutions and author of Quietly Visible, Leading with Influence and Impact as an Introverted Woman. And this is the podcast for introverted women who want to thrive as leaders and in life. Now, today I have with me Comini Wood, and she is a certified life coach, and she helps high achievers heal their relationships with themselves. And she helps people take courageous steps in identifying limiting beliefs, reasons for stagnation, and overcoming self in order to live a fulfilling professional and personal life. She's the creator of Authentic Me and CEO of Live Joy Your Way. And I like really love the sound of that. And, and that's a coaching company helping high performers and overachievers who have seen success through old, rooted, traditional metrics re-establish their relational self-awareness. Um, so we're going to be focusing on looking at uh, an aspect of how we can limit ourselves, our, our beliefs that we have about ourselves. But we're going to do it mainly focusing on the topics of self-compassion and perfectionism. Because those are topics that I've not really covered on this podcast. So it'll be interesting to have this conversation with Kamani. Um and share and, and get some of her brilliant insight to share with you all. So hello and welcome. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. So before we dive into um, the topic, just share a little bit more about who you are. Sure. So I am a professional coach, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I do work with high achievers in helping them understand what false beliefs might be holding them back. I myself am an introvert. I actually um, am grateful for how I show up in this world. I do think that there's so much power in being an introvert. Uh, From a personal level, I'm also the mom of five. My oldest is a 21-year-old ballerina. I also have a 19-year-old, a 16, almost 17-year-old, 14, and nine-year-old. So that's me on a personal basis. Um, but truly what I'm most passionate about is working with individuals on helping them create the lives that they want for themselves. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit, what led you to this journey where you are today? Sure. So I actually um, grew up in a small town in Connecticut. Um, I am of Indian descent. So being of um, you know, a predominantly white town in, in Connecticut. So my parents as immigrants and then my sister and I, we we did look different. You know, we didn't we weren't of the norm. Um and having a name like comedy definitely stuck out. So growing up there was a sense of um striving to belong. Um as a young girl, I didn't really know that's what I was experiencing, but there was this sense of wanting to belong and wanting to be accepted. And when I track back my own um my own experiences with perfectionism and people pleasing, I recognized that a lot of that came from when I was younger and wanting people to be happy with me and okay with me. So that's where the people pleasing started. I felt like that's how I could prove my worth or or find my belonging. And then of course the perfectionism came up through um, having immigrant parents that are working really hard. I just didn't want to be a burden to them. Not anything that they said or did. It was just an internal internalization of messages and experiences that I had along the way, 
which led me into this idea of perfectionism. Take that into my adult my adult years and what really ended up happening. I mentioned I'm a mom. My my children were actually my catalyst to my own awakening to how I was showing up in this world because I started seeing my children emulate some of those behaviors and recognize that the only way that I was going to shift that and maybe pattern interrupt was to do my own self-work and self-evaluation and go through my own self-transformation. So that was what was happening on a personal level. In my professional world, I had really expanded into running uh, my husband's law practice at the time. And, and in that capacity was, was really working closely with individuals on helping them figure out what they wanted from a professional standpoint, which led into also supporting them from a personal standpoint. So I took that professional experience and this personal transformation that I was, that I had gone through and realized that that's actually where my zone of genius is and what my calling really is. And so that's when I really went all in on making sure that I was trained um, in, in, in an effective way. So went through certifications and also just modality training so I could be really supportive of my clients depending on how they assimilate information. Went through all of that and created this business that I have today, which is, like I mentioned, working with people one-on-one, helping them figure out what's, what's next for them. Right. Thank you for that. And uh, something that you said sort of reminded me of my my experience, how I um, became more self-aware. And, and that was, um, you, you mentioned about when you had your children and, and recognizing that they were starting to emulate some of what you were doing. I, I remember when my son was younger um, and, I, and I separated, his dad and I, we separated. Um, and I recognized because I, I lacked confidence and belief in myself and so forth. But I recognized if I wanted him to grow up to be bold and courageous, that I needed to model my behavior. And so that's when I did a lot of work on my self-development and um, getting to know and understand myself. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. Isn't it amazing how our children can really be a catalyst when they mirror certain things back to us or they just illuminate, they illuminate what's happening for us on an individual basis? It is. It is amazing, isn't it? You know, we can we can learn a lot from our children um, and they show us a lot and they teach us a lot as well, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So. um so, so in terms of you, you sort of talked about the perfectionism and and you've been able and the people pleasing and you've been able to identify where that stems from. Um, and so, so how did you go about addressing that and overcoming that perfectionism? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I often will say to people is that it's not about getting rid of certain personality traits. Instead, it's about recognizing that they can be strengths as long as we don't lean too far into them. I I will say to people that if we lean, sometimes if we lean too far into the strengths, it'll become a weakness. So I've really reframed my people pleasing into there is a strong side of me that is extraordinarily empathetic and really cares about people. So there's a part of me that still wants to support people. And if I can help them uh, or do something for them, I will, but I now do it with boundaries. Right. So that's how I, I hold myself accountable to not overindulge, overfunction, and really lean too far into the people pleasing. Uh, but the way that I really, and even the perfectionism for that matter, right, we can, we can lean into perfectionism to a point and then it becomes a weakness when we lean too far into it. And the way that I really went about um, working on that is 
truly it be it the first the first thing is to become self-aware. A lot of times things are narratives that we've had for many years. And so we just automatically default to that narrative. So the very first step was doing the work to figure out by figure out what was happening, what was the story I was telling myself. And that awareness was the entrance to figure out and to recognize that I do have a choice point. So I had a choice point. Let's take people pleasing, for instance. There's a choice point for me to recognize that I can continue going down this people pleasing path with this narrative that that's how I prove my worth. Or I can recognize that my worth is actually in my own being. Making, doing things for other people doesn't prove worth. It's just the act of doing for others. And I can, I can continue to lean into that when I choose to, but boundaries are extraordinarily important. And so really that's where the work was for me was making sure that I was starting to take committed action towards setting boundaries around what I'm willing to say yes to or, or wanting to say no to. And, and those boundaries are so important to have those boundaries to, to protect ourselves, to look after ourselves. And so before you started to uh, do the work on yourself, what sort of effect was um, perfectionism and per- people pleasing having on you? The truth is I had sort of, um, I had lost my own identity in the sense that I lost track of my own needs and desires because everybody else, their needs and their desires took priority. So what I was realizing was I was over-functioning and over-giving. So some of the effects did result in a little bit of resentment where I was just, I was exhausted and a little burned out, but also it was just self-abandonment. It was loss of what do I really want? What is actually the thing that brings or the things that bring me joy? And it's not because, and I do not blame other people, it's taking ownership of the, again, the narrative and the story that I was living into contributed to that. So in order for the transformation to happen, we do have to look at what's our part in this. Now, it is true that people get used to you being a people pleaser. And so when you start to change, they might not like it as much, <laughs> but, the, but the truth is we have to own our part. And that's, that's where the work was for me, was owning my part, recognizing that's how I was showing up. And then again, taking, rec- really doing the work to figure out what were my, my values, what are my core values, and then taking that and taking committed action based on my value system. Yeah. And and what do you think would have happened if you just had carried on without intervening in that way or recognize, developing that self-awareness? I do believe that, first of all, the pattern would not have been interrupted for my children. Um, you know, I, I do still see moments of, of uh, perfectionism in my kids. They are high achievers. Um, however, I do think that it would be different. Um, I also do believe that I would have continued on autopilot. I would have continued doing the work that I was doing, but I would not have been as engaged in it because it was, again, it was just sort of by default. I wasn't actually actively choosing what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. It was more, this is what's expected of me. And I, working with clients, that's one thing that comes up a lot is recognizing that so much of it becomes autopilot behavior where it's not, we're not even aware that we're doing it. And mm-hmm. through that awareness is when that, when that change really happens. Yeah. And, and I think once, once you, you develop that awareness and, and see what is going on and, and work to address it, then we, we, we can become our, into, we come into our own and we can be our, our true authentic selves and become 
what I say, who we're meant to be, rather than living a life by default, which is not really us. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, the, the, the perfectionism. Um, and, you know, I, I see this a lot. It's very common with high achieving women. Um, I see it a lot with people who experience imposter syndrome or who doubt themselves because they they feel that they have to. Ex- they, well, they, they try and achieve, achieve a, a perfectionist standard because they feel that that will make them be accepted and that will make them feel that they are good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell us a bit more about how people can recognize that there are, they have perfectionist tendencies and how that may be getting in the way of them, um, yeah. getting or have, or being able to enjoy their roles or what they're, they're doing without putting so much pressure on themselves. Yeah, so there's there's definitely internal perfectionism as well as externally based perfectionism. So the internal perfectionism is this true fear of failure, the fear that if they make a mistake, they're not good enough or there's something wrong with them. It's, it leans into internalized shame um, that there's something wrong with me if I don't get this right. And what ends up happening a lot of times with perfectionists uh, who have that internalized feelings and thought processes is either uh, procrastination or paralysis, meaning they're afraid to move forward with something. So they just don't move forward at all. Um, or they just, they don't start a project because there's such a deep sense of if I do this, I, I could potentially fail. And if I fail, that means that I'm not good enough. Or if I fail, that means that I'm not good enough and people will abandon me. So it's really important to recognize what those underlying beliefs are, what those underlying false beliefs are that are related to the perfectionism. Because once we recognize what those false beliefs are, now we can start working through what's actually true. You know, is it really true that if you make a mistake, that means that there's something wrong with you? Or is it possibly that it's just an outcome that you weren't happy with? And we can actually take a look at it and say, well, how, what did I learn and how can I grow through this? Take that information and maybe try again. So oftentimes people with internalized perfectionism will just stay in their comfort zone. They won't expand out into the growth zone and they end up missing out on a lot of opportunities that might allow them to grow and experience life in a different way. And then of course, there's externally based perfectionism where when we expect other people to be perfect. So sometimes I, when I'm working with individuals who are perfectionists, they also recognize that they're holding their kids to a very high perfectionist standard where they, they have to do it right. They, they don't leave any room to maybe make a mistake. And so when we hold people to really high standards like that, we expect them to be perfect. Our relationships actually can have take a toll as well where they are negatively affected by that because what ends up happening are the people that we're in relationship with feel like they can never live up to our standard. And that leads to this um, this separation between the two of us or between that those two individuals in that relationship. So what we're, what we're really finding with perfectionist tendencies, while on the surface, it's like, oh, we just want things to be really done really well. What ends up happening is in, if we internalize it, we can hold ourselves back and also we can have a negative effect on the relationships that we have as well. Yeah. And, and I, I know it's something I see a lot, as I mentioned in, in the work that I do, and particularly when it comes to that external perfectionism or our outward person was outwardly perfectionist um and the, as a leader the pressure that people can put on their team members 
yeah. because they have this uh, unrealistic expectation. Uh, and I've seen it where leaders uh, just without without having that awareness that that is what is going on for them, their teams are, are like walking on, um, oh gosh, what do you call it? Walking, yeah, tread, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, they're, mm-hmm. and they're, they're scared to, uh, so they may be getting results done, but there's no relationship there because they're just, doing as they're told but there's that fear because they're not able to live up to what is expected and all the pressure that is put on them to achieve this unattainable standard that then makes them um affect their relationship with the leader as well as puts them under a lot of stress and strain as well yes and and it's what that's a great point and also what that ends up doing is it leads to a lot of burnout for individuals whose team leaders are expecting perfection, they don't feel, those individuals don't feel like they can ever live up to it. It's not good enough. And then that does lead to a lot of burnout. Yeah. Yeah. And so people need to be aware of that. Um, and so before we sort of go back to um, sort of looking at and, and moving on to looking at um, self-compassion. Um, so, so what sort of uh, a, advice or what would you suggest to somebody who is experiencing perfectionist experiencing perfectionism well one of the things that I routinely talk about and just from my own personal experience is slowing down and paying attention to the stories we're telling ourselves right so paying attention to what that inner voice says because that inner critic or that inner voice is going to allow us, it's going to illuminate to us what the narrative is. And once we have that narrative, once we're aware of that narrative, we now can start challenging it and saying, well, what's actually true here? What's actually true about the situation that I have in front of me? Um, so that's, that's one thing that I will routinely talk to people about in terms of just becoming aware of the perfectionist tendencies and thought processes and really giving one permission to name the thoughts that we're having so it allows for a room between us as an individual and the thought it, what we it's referred to as diffusion and what we're really trying to do is diffuse ourselves from the thought so if we can notice the thought and name the thought and what I mean by that is I'm noticing the thought that if I do this and I mess up I will be viewed as a failure now we are giving ourselves a little bit of distance from who we are as a person and the thought that we're having because the truth is it's just a thought and we can we will have thousands of thoughts in a given day and we get to choose whether or not we're going to give that thought our energy and our um, attention or whether we can then say wow that's a thought that if I mess this up I'm going to be a failure well what's actually true is that I have never done this thing before. I'm going to do the very best I can. And no matter what, I'm going to learn from this situation and I can take that information and move forward. Now we're noticing the thought and we're giving ourselves permission to respond in a very empowered way rather than letting the thought run whether or not we engage in whatever action we were about to take. Yes, and and taking or becoming aware of our thoughts, I think is so important because a, a lot of uh, so a lot of people don't really pay attention to what they're thinking about. Um, and as you said, you have thousands of thoughts a day. Um, and those thoughts, they shape how what we think and what how we see ourselves and how we act and behave. Um, and just because somebody thinks something doesn't mean that they have to believe it if it's not true. 
that exactly feel and I and I do think that that is something that we should encourage more people to do is to stop and just reflect on their thoughts their thought life you know like, like how as children are taught to brush our teeth twice a day first thing in the morning and last thing at night I think we should be sort of teaching children to pay attention to their thoughts so that as they grow they can become aware of the thoughts which are unhelpful the thoughts which are unreal and the thoughts which are getting in the way of them enjoying themselves or enjoying their lives it's so powerful because our thoughts will lead to different feelings and emotions which are the things that lead to actions and results right so if we allow ourselves the power to notice our thoughts and to name our thoughts, we actually are stepping into that empowered place and teaching our children to do that is incredible. And it is such a game changer because of the fact that, you know, when we are fully aware of what's happening, we then own the narrative that we're, that we're living into. And that goes back to, do we want to live on autopilot or do we want to, you know, be generative with the life that we're living? Yes, and that can make have such an impact on our lives when we develop that awareness. And, and so self-compassion, um, and that plays a big part in all of what we've talked about. So talk to us a bit about self-compassion, what that is and how we benefit from it. Yeah, so Kristen Neff is the leading researcher in self-compassion and her work is incredible. So I definitely would encourage people to check it out. Self-compassion is absolutely vital when we're talking about how do we break down perfectionism because what self-compassion is all about is kindness over judgment. Uh, the, the concept of common humanity, meaning that other people have experienced something similar, maybe not the exact same thing, but something similar and we can recognize that we can lean on those individuals for uh, support as we go through something. We don't have to be isolated and going through through things alone. And then that third pillar of self-compassion is the concept of mindfulness, present moment awareness, because so much of our day, I think there's a study out there that says 47% of our day, we're living in the then or there. And what's meant by that is we're either ruminating over the past or we're worrying about the future. And so self-compassion is about coming back to this present moment. What is happening for me right here and right now? So when we take those three things and we bridge them together, when we're thinking about how do we work through perfectionism, one of the things that happens when we have that perfectionist mindset is our judge saboteur, that judge mindset takes over and tells us how we're bad or wrong. And self-compassion really leans into kindness over judgment. So instead of saying we're bad or wrong, it, it asks the question, what would I say to my best friend or a loved one in this situation? And now take that and offer that same kindness to myself. Offer that same kindness and ask certain questions like, you know, what did I learn from this? How can I grow through this? Rather than, gosh, you're terrible, you're a failure, failure, you're never going to amount to anything, which is all just stuck in judgment, right? And then it's about asking for support when we need it. And it's about allowing ourselves to get vulnerable with those safe people in our world in seeking that support and reminding ourselves that all we have control over in this moment is what's happening right here. We can't undo the past and we don't know how the future is going to unfold. So it's about being in the here and now and how do we want to take this experience and continue to grow through it rather than maybe potentially being a victim of it. Yeah. And so that's that self-awareness to be kinder to ourselves. Um, and I, I know for some people that can be challenging because it's going against what they've always done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's about I guess just as you say that developing that self-awareness that first of all what's going on for them but then also routine just checking in their minds so how do how do you go about exercising self-compassion so one thing that I will do is I will actually say things out loud because what what I have noticed, and I actually work with my clients on this too, is saying things out loud, because when we can hear it and we can witness what we're saying to ourselves, we will catch that what we're saying is not very nice, right? And so that's a great way to become aware of how we're talking to ourselves is allow ourselves permission to say it out loud, that we witness it, we see it, uh, because again, shame too tends to be unseen, unheard, unwitnessed. So that's a way that we can really work through this and, rec- and, and lean into compassion over judgment. And when we, when we speak it out loud and we hear it, we can catch it and we allow ourselves to really say, now, would I really say that to my best friend or would I really say that to my loved one? And I'm going to guess most of the time the answer is no. <laughs> and we give ourselves the permission to say, well, what would I say instead? Say that. And then again, we repeat it as though we're saying it to ourselves. And that's how we can really put into practice this concept of self-compassion over judgment. And it's really interesting when when I have people who are very self-critical and I I ask them that question, well, what what would you tell your best friend? What advice would you give to your best friend? And then they'll come out and they'll say all these things which involve their best friend being self-compassionate, fantastic advice. And then it's once they realize that, well, they're giving their friend this advice, but they're not applying that advice to themselves. That, mm-hmm. that, that can be quite a light bulb moment for them when they have that realization, because we're, we're often harder on ourselves mm-hmm. than we are on other people. And then if, if it's a best friend or someone that you really love and care about, you only want to give them, you want the best for them. So you're going to give them good advice that will uplift them and that will encourage them. But yeah, we don't do that. Many of us don't anyway, do that to ourselves. ourselves. Yeah. And there are some myths out there. And one of the main myths that I hear a lot is that self-compassion is selfish or it's going to turn me into some type of narcissist. And that's just, it's, it's actually a very selfful act because if we allow ourselves kindness and we allow ourselves to grow through an experience rather than putting ourselves down from an experience, we are going to show up in a more full and complete way when we are in relationship with people. So it's actually the opposite of selfishness. And instead, it's a very selfful act so that we can continue to show up as our true and authentic self when we are interacting with others. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So this is a great conversation. So thank you so much. But um, before we wrap up, if people want to find out more about you or, or what and what it is that you do, where's the best place for them to go? My website is comedywood.com or I'm also on social media, Facebook, Instagram and Pinterest, all with the handle. It's authentic me. Thank you. So Listeners, do go and check Carmeny out, her website, follow her on social media. She's got some great advice and tips and things that she shares. So it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Carol. And thank you for listening, everybody. And 
do check commonly out, as I've said. And if you want to increase your confidence, influence and impact and you haven't completed my free assessment on my website, go to aboundingsolutions.com. There's an assessment that you can complete that will give you ideas about areas that you can focus on. And so until the next time, bye.